0: You are listening to the Coming Up for Air podcast, hosted by Air Moms Lori McDougall and Annie Highwater. This podcast is sponsored by AlliesInRecovery.net. Coming Up for Air brings together two wonderful people, both of whose adult sons are in recovery from opiate addiction. Annie Highwater and Lori McDougall have been through years of their loved ones' active addiction they have come to understand the direct link between taking care of yourself and being able to help your loved one. During these conversations, Lori and Annie address the questions and concerns brought up by allies and recovery members. And now coming up for air with Lori McDougal and Annie Highwater.
1: Hi, Annie. How are you? Hi, I'm really good. We are just
2: coming off the heels of Elliot's visit. So things are great. How are you?
1: I'm good. I'm having a good week. Um, So I guess this week we decided to um, have a conversation about uh, being victims or victimizing people or... um, Victim mentality. Yep, victim mentality. And so um, I thought I'd let you get started.
2: Sure. Well, this has been a great temptation in my life because I've had You know just coming from a lot of dysfunction and i've had some betrayal and things like that so i've had quite the temptation to get stuck so i broke it down a little bit um into three little parts based on the definition of victim so what does it mean to be a victim the definition is a person harmed or injured a person tricked or duped a person who suffers Injury or discussion. So I don't want to control the conversation, but um, I thought maybe we could base some of it out of the definition and I broke it down into those three parts. Okay. The first one is a person who is harmed or injured. So obviously when an injury comes, this isn't particularly physical because my injuries have been a lot deeper than physical. Um, The first thing is that you're down and you're kind of wallowing in it. And like we've discussed before. At first, we must. But I kind of have a little bit of a rule that I can't gather moss down there. But at first, you have to.
1: I I agree. I you know I I think that um, at first you can be so bowled over. Yes. Um, right. So hurt. So bowled over. So um, emotionally distraught that you almost can't come up, overcome it in the beginning.
2: Right. And, and
1: that's so go with it.
2: Yes. That's absolutely. Anything that is an injury, you know, a divorce, um, uh, infidelity, um, a child that gets caught in substance use disorder, which we refer to as SUD, crisis, anything like that, you are kind of, you take the hit, you take the shot, and you're down in it, but you just, um, it takes some time to get your bearings. Yep. For me, heartache and crisis, the first round of it was when uh, my father died, and I was going through divorce, and all of those things happened at once, and I did not, had no I'd had this functional experience and d- disappointment. I had had no devastation experience quite like that. Mm-hmm. So I wasn't aware that darkness has an end to it.
1: Right. Right. Yeah. I remember feeling that way. I remember knowing inside. I knew in my head that that it wouldn't stay like this, that I wouldn't be like this forever. But I also couldn't see the light. I... I, I I also think, though, that you have a whole lot of stuff going on. So, right. so you're a victim, but you're also suffering from PTSD, or you're also, you know, you've got and depression. Sorrow. And right, and right. You're like sad. It. You're angry. You're, you know, all sorts of things are going on. So when it first hits, hey, you know what? I think you owe it to yourself to kind of wallow in it for a little while.
2: You sure do. And, you know, I know we're going to discuss in a future podcast cycles and patterns. I tended to have the same pattern of injury repeat in my life where I would end up in the same hole over and over again. I always call it my trash, triggering my trash, which was my dysfunction and dysfunctional patterns. So I would get, I would become a victim of the same types of injuries and harm. Um, And I had heard recently on another podcast, you, um, you attract the energy you exude. And I know whether, you know, it was not my fault that I was born into dysfunction and I was somewhat scapegoated and had all of that. But because it was the normal pattern, I would exude that scapegoat, blaming and shaming types of scenarios and they would repeat over and over again until you start to do the work to recover and what is healthy, what is peace, what is safe. Until you start doing those work, the work and acknowledging your part in it, I tended to attract the same types of injuries, even though I despised them. I wasn't responsible for them, you know, necessarily. I tended to fall into the same patterns of victimization.
1: Right. And I think a part of it is, is we don't recognize in the beginning what our role is in it, right? We don't know how, well, how did I contribute it? It, you know, I, I don't know. I'm not sure because it's a very tough thing to to look back in hindsight and say, Oh, this is what I'm doing. Or, you know, Oh, I, they say that couples argue the same argument for years, over and over and over couples argue about the same thing. And I think it's because um, we fall into patterns, right? We, we fight a particular way. We have a particular point that we're trying to make and we, we can't see out of it. We can't see anything, you know, and if you, if you continue to repeat the same yeah. pattern, you almost become comfortable with it.
2: It's right? familiar.
1: But nothing changes. Right. And
2: then you despise the end result. Right. Um, and that goes into the next part of the definition was a, pers- a victim is a person who has been tricked or, or duped. And I had to learn to be careful who I was charmed by. Um, for one thing, my dad would always tell me when somebody really strives to be publicly awesome, they are sometimes privately awful. And I would sometimes believe these great charismatic personalities, but you know, even kind of beyond that, um, being careful who you are tricked or duped by, um, this is what it was. This was a deep pattern for me. If I believed there was a connection, Or something meaningful between me and another person. And this wasn't necessarily relationships. It was almost always women. If they got me, if we got each other, if we understood each other, my guard would drop and I would think that we were immediately connected and I would put up with things a lot longer. If that makes any sense. I would be charmed by things I either believed about myself. I tend to be very Real and raw. And I bring out the real and raw in other people because I just am transparent. I this is what I'm not. I don't profess to be anything I'm not. This is the good, the bad and the indifferent. And sometimes um, I, I don't know what the what the reasoning is or what the pathway is to it. But I tend tended to believe these connections were more real than they actually were. And I would get charmed and duped and tricked by them. And then I would become a victim of being manipulated and deceived.
1: Right. Right. And I do know what you're talking about because I've done a lot of the same, a lot of the same stuff, um, especially like you say with women. Yeah, um, that's a terrible pattern. Yeah. Yep. And I, I just trust, I always give the benefit of the doubt, yeah. I, you know, and, uh, And I would fall into patterns of being hurt over and over and over again. Same patterns. And you think, I
2: wouldn't do that to them. And that is almost a kind of an arrogant statement because not everyone has your priorities. Not everyone has your motives. Not everyone does things your way, but you're seeing things through the lens of what you would or would not do. And I would just, things would last, a friendship that maybe served its purpose or, you know, had become stagnant and even toxic because they do. That's just life. Um, I would just keep dragging that dead body.
1: Right. Right. I, I've done the same thing. And yes, that's exactly, that's it. Exactly.
2: And then you're complaining about the same things. I'm calling, you know, another friend or my sister and saying, I got burned again. Or in this weak moment, I had a shot taken at me. I feel like a human dartboard and it would be over and over. And hasn't it been seven years of this kind of thing? And right, you know, like, no one wants to hear you crying over the same spilled milk when you're still participating. And I right. just didn't realize I had a choice in it.
1: Right. And that's
2: going to sometimes get better. You have to get better.
1: Right. Exactly. And that's when it, it becomes, well, are they making you a victim or are you responsible for your own victimization? Right? Well, after are I you,
2: think you're aware you are.
1: Well, As soon as you know, it's, it's kind of, it's on you to take care of the situation and to stop being the victim.
2: Right. And, you know, I got duped when my son, um, um, he, you know, when they're in SUD and, and those behaviors, the disease can drive manipulation. And right. I would find myself being fooled by him and he would take it to high levels. You know, I know you really need the presence of family around and then he would burn me and I would think, well, what what I'd have to go back to the drawing board. We know this situation's raging right now. Why, how did I get duped or charmed? Because it was not necessarily the truth of the situation. It was my need. To have him present to believe his sincerity and to have him near me and that was a hard learning process you shouldn't really have to learn that with your kid but that was part of that being victimized by being tripped tricked and duped and i know when people are dealing with somebody in active addiction there is you you are susceptible to being tricked and duped that's part of the victimization but you have to secure yourself
1: right you know it's it's um it's interesting because um I had this interaction with my son one time where um, I was away with him. I was trying to help him set up a living situation, but he was also in the middle of active use at the time. And, um, and he, he went out supposedly to a meeting, but he didn't. Instead he used, um, we were staying in like a hotel. He came back to the hotel and I was, I was just so upset. I was so angry with him. And I said, that's it. And I, I'm like, I'm leaving. I'm packing up and I'm going. And if you wanna come with me, you can come with me. If you don't wanna come with me, you stay here, do whatever you want, right? And I packed up the car um, and he knew, <laughs> he just knew I, I was done. and he got in the car, and he's going to come home with me, and, you know, of course, I, that was it, I was going to make it very clear, well, you can't stay at the house, what are you going to do, where are you going to go, you know, I'll help you get to treatment, whatever you want, but you cannot stay here, I will not let you, and I started saying to him, this is unfair, what you're doing to me is unfair, because, uh, because he actually, in that night, he had overdosed, and I had to, um, Pull over on the side of the road on the way home, and call an ambulance and get him to the hospital. Uh, and I, I was so angry. I was just—I remember looking at him in the hospital and going, "This is so unfair of you to do this to me. To to think that I'm here to catch you, you know, when you when you fall, that you think I'm responsible for keeping you alive. This is this is so unfair." Right. And then I remember just walking away and thinking about it and being like, no, I'm doing this to myself. I'm doing this to myself. What am I doing here with him? You know, what am I, why did I come up here like this? And why I put myself in this position. If I don't want him to do this, then I have to make it. I'm the one who has to pull away. I'm the one who has to start playing the victim. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Does that don't make sense? Realize that, and that's a deep realization. That's a powerful, deep self-awareness. I think, and yeah. but once
1: you realize
2: that, you can take healthier steps, and things start to improve almost immediately.
1: Yeah, you know, it's funny. Um, I heard someone describe this. I was talking to somebody about um, being a victim, and they said, "Oh, being a victim," they said, "Well, uh, that's that's a big ball and chain around your neck." And I started thinking about it. I was like, ooh, you know, that's interesting. And then they said, being a victim is just an excuse to give up. Right? And it was like, oh, and I really thought about it. Oh, oh, being a victim, they're doing this to me. You know, that it's that it's that this mentality. Is how it is. This right. is how it is. I'm, I'm taking it personally and I'm sitting around going, Woe is me, woe is me. I can't believe he's doing this to me. And it's like, no, I actually do have choices in this. I actually can stop playing the victim if I want to. Right? I might not it, it's not gonna be easy. It and it wasn't, right? I mean, it's really, really hard. But it was, I can remember being at that hospital and it was in that moment that I started to, oh, oh, I am being a victim and I'm allowing it to happen. And now I am going to take control of my own situation and I am going to make sure that I'm uh, uh, not a victim as much as I possibly can prevent, prevent it.
2: Right, yes. And I think that is taking the personal out of it. And it's a fine line. I always say, Uh, there's a balance between being a doormat and a diva. It's about taking the personal out of it. You know, not everything's about me. It has to be about me to where I make healthy choices and I don't put up with certain things. Right. But I can't take every single thing that happens as a personal shot at me.
1: Right. Right. And also, I mean, understanding that it's a disease. Yeah. It's a disease. So it really isn't personal, right? Right. I I loved what your son said uh, when he said that, um, the choices that he made in the moment when he yes. was using, th- those choices that he made in his mind were the best choices he could have made, yeah. right? And so he was choice- committed
2: to those choices.
1: Right, and, and right. in his mind, he was he was justified manipulating, uh-huh. he was justified lying, he, you know, justified for stealing because in that moment, because the disease has him. Right, and and, and the disease is telling him all of this stuff. So, so you're right. So I was. It
2: wasn't personal. I was in the way. Right. I was. I had what he needed or what he wanted, whether it was a right, whatever, or I was in the way of what he needed or wanted. Right.
1: And it had nothing to do with you. Really didn't. It really, really didn't. And it even didn't have anything to do with whether he loved you or not.
2: It really didn't. You don't know that sometimes for a while, but it really doesn't. It doesn't have. It's not about the apple. Not. Not falling far from the tree, or anything right. I've done wrong, it's, or anything his life could have had better. It right. really is about how, and I always say, who cares how the disease began and took hold? We are where we are now, and it has nothing to do with anything except finding disease. a way
1: forward. Right, right, right. And 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 that's the thing is that um, understanding that that they can lie, they can manipulate, they can steal, you know, they can do all these things, and yet they still love you. They do. Right, yeah. they, I, I honestly believe that. I honestly believe that my son, through everything, he still loved me. And and from what I've seen of your son, I felt, I feel the same way. I feel oh, yeah. he still loved you, but I do believe that the disease just takes over, and um, we can and be that
2: Smart. It is smarter than any of us. Yeah, no kidding. In my book, I said it's like the the movie The Predator. It takes on different forms, and just when you think it's conquered or you're through one level of it, it comes back from another direction, even worse. Right. You're not going to outsmart it. Right. Right. No, and I knew my son loved me. And then, you know, we would have a terrible situation happen or or a disappointing setback. And then he would kind of act as if nothing happened because he wasn't questioning how he felt for me. But I would be, you know, laying on the ground hemorrhaging from the most recent whatever happened, bad news or battle or whatever. And it really had nothing, it really didn't have anything emotional except the toll it was taking. It didn't have anything to do with emotions or anything personal. It was just that it takes a toll on those things.
1: Right. Right. You know what it reminds me of? I know this is going to sound really strange, but it reminds me of, did you ever read the book? um, I hate you mom, but, but could you take me and Sherry to the mall? No. It's this, it's this book about how teenagers, um, You know, you get into a battle with them, you get into an argument, you get into a fight, and then, and you're like, you know, you're ready to pull your hair out. They walk out of the room, and two minutes later, they come back, and they're like, hey, I need to ride to the mall, okay? As if nothing happened, and you're still like, oh my gosh, (laughs) I'm going to kill them. You know, that kind, you're still all wrapped up in what happened, and they've moved on. Yeah, where what
2: have you done with my son? I don't recognize you. You I right. live with an enemy. That's sometimes I would think I am living with an he's my enemy. He talks to me or thinks of me like my enemy. Right. And you right. know that can be a teenage issue too.
1: Right. And it I I very similar. I thought very similar cuz I have 3 children and when they hit those teenage years, that's exactly how they behaved. Right? They anyway. and and I remember thinking, "Okay, okay. Um, I can try and be logical with them, but they want what they want because they're teenagers. And I remember thinking, okay, the prefrontal cortex is not working properly yet. It has not developed enough, right? So they're just going to behave like teenagers. And I found that um, when my son was uh, in active use, then I had a major league teenager, a much larger but major league teenager, uh, living in my house or, uh, or someone that I was dealing with.
2: Yeah. And you know, it takes a while to learn how to respond. I, I listened to a lot of podcasts and I love some of the Dr. Drew ones. And I had just heard his wife saying she had triplets. So she had three teenagers and she would get pulled into different things. And she said the best advice he ever gave her was don't dance with them. Get off the dance floor. Don't do the dance with them. And that's with any hostile situation that's involving escalating, arguing, and manipulation and insults, all of that. Don't dance with it. Right. Right. And it takes a while to learn that because sometimes you want to ball bat, but you know, you just have to learn healthy ways. Right. Before we go on, I'd like to take a moment to acknowledge our sponsor, Allies in Recovery. Since 2002, Allies has been helping families like yours and like mine. Cope with the substance use of a loved one. Join Allies in Recovery today, and you'll have access to a wealth of information, strategies, and community to help you navigate the minefield of addiction. That's alliesinrecovery.net. Now back to the show. The third part of the definition of victim, I think this is really interesting, is a victim is a person who suffers injury or destruction. And it's interesting to me because the word suffers is present tense. And I was thinking about how as soon as a, as a wound happens or an injury or duping or whatever, whatever has put me in the position of being leveled, I know personally I have got to start doing the work toward healing because I know myself, personally me, or I'm going to start working toward hate. I'm going to start working toward feeling sorry for myself, how bad it is, how disappointing it is, How I can't overcome because of it, how it's canceled plans, how this person is terrible, how I should get revenge, how I hope they get Mm -hmm. karma. I'm going to start working toward the hate. If I don't, as soon as possible, start working toward healing. Right. I don't want to suffer in the present tense for something. I mean, you have to be realistic. You're not going to be over something within 24 hours, no matter what it is. Right. But I, I have to put steps in place to start moving my mind forward.
1: Yeah, and I mean, we've talked a little bit about this before because I, I, um, I guess I don't necessarily move towards hate. Um, I'm bad feelings. I may move towards bad feelings, but I, I've told you this before that I like to. I give myself three days if someone does something to me i give myself 3 days i do not allow myself to respond or react it's it's hold back for 3 days and the reason why is because i feel like at the end of 3 days if i'm still emotionally turned up because of whatever happened that if i'm still there at the end of 3 days then um, I'm at least calm enough that when I do respond to the person, I'm going to respond in a, uh, a calm, well-thought-out, structured manner. I'm not right. going to just fly off the handle. And then the other thing is is if uh, at the end of three days it's not that important to me anymore and I'm not really thinking about it, then I can consider, well, maybe it wasn't important really to begin with, and I can just let go. Yeah. Right.
2: Um, my victimization pattern involves cycles of I tend to attract people who betray me, and I've told you some of the betrayal in my history. And um, you know, I don't need to shame or blame or point or nobody needs details of a sob story. You just need to overcome it. So I've had situations reoccurring in my life where. I'm going overboard helping somebody and I'm, mm-hmm. I'm not saying this like I'm a martyr, but it just ends up being the dynamic. And then I find out that person was stabbing me in the back and hated me pretty much the whole time. And it's happened several times. And I've had to learn a painful lesson worse every time it's happened to where I finally said, I'm going to step back and let people do things for me or maybe not be such a lapdog and go out of my way until we're established with each other. You know, and that's a codependent yeah. role. So so that when I get betrayed a lot of times when betrayal comes or or somebody's disappointing no matter if it's big or small, your first thoughts are, well, you know, I wouldn't do that to you and look at all I right. did for you after all I did for you. Right. And I tend to if I get stuck in that, it's a slippery slope down to a deep dark rabbit hole of hatred. Right. So that I try not to not only not repeat the reoccurring pattern of being victimized by betrayal and being used and all of that, but I, I, I have to work on the healing.
1: Yeah, yeah. You know, someone said something really interesting to me too, and, um, and I think this maybe pertains more to um, substance use, but they said that anger is a much more productive yeah. feeling than victimization yes and i really thought about that and it's like well yeah i guess it kind of is because victimization kind of gives it it's like a feeling of hopelessness like oh i can't do anything about that they do you know this person is doing that to me yeah whereas anger can actually be productive right so if i get angry ooh. I, you know, I I can, I kind of will inspire you to do something, right, and, and not, it could be being reactive, but it also could be, I'm really, really angry, and I want to respond, and I'm going to respond, you know, but I'm going to do it in a better, in a better manner.
2: Right, and you know, the it, Recovery works. I don't set myself up for reoccurring patterns anymore. And I see them coming a lot quicker. I don't walk into that stuff and I heal a lot quicker. But that word pre- suffers as far as present. Um, on one, For one thing, I heard a speaker the other day say she was talking to a woman who was telling her all these goals and dreams she'd had. And she said, but you know, my family threw me under the bus so many times. And she said, when the woman walked away, she thought, you know, I was thrown under the bus too. And then I got up and drove it. Right. You know, you get back up. And I'd had a similar conversation with a relative the other day, and I was really heated about something insulting. I have, I tend to have family members sometimes extended who go on social media and take insulting shots at each other. And it's not like funny. It's like when someone's down, like, oh, you're looking fat in that picture. And it's like just after a funeral or something like that. And it's just, it's so mind boggling that anyone would operate on that level. I mean, I can remember my son being 18 and kind of saying, you don't act like that. You don't talk, like and he knew better then. So when you're in 30s, 40s, 50s and doing that, it's just beyond me that anyone could act that way. Anyway, that had occurred recently. And I was discussing it with another family member and he went right into, you know, when I was in um, the seventh grade, this happened and I never forgot this and that and started naming all these patterns. And I remember thinking, I don't even get mad about all these old things. This is new. I don't wanna suffer in the present from things that are way back then, even if that's that person's pattern, like, I'm not, I'm not going to talk about it with the same amount of venom and pain. And it's, you know, it didn't make me look down on him. It made me think, oh, you're still presently suffering. It's still victimizing you. And there's a way out of
1: that. Right. Right. Yeah. It, It, it's interesting because I had someone recently tell me that, um, if, if their son did not, couldn't or, or did relapse and couldn't stay sober that they were done that they i'm just sick of it i'm done and, and that's when i re, like i i remember thinking i didn't say a word because it was like Oh, you're still taking it personally. Right. You're still, you know, you're still being a victim. You think it's all about you and what you want. And it's not, right? It's all... And
2: the healthier you get for that son. Right. And and that's not calling the shots for your life. That's the best thing you can do for your kid. Right. You get healthy.
1: Right. right. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. those
2: things are those things come to interrupt us and we just can't get stuck on those interruptions. We still have to live a healthy life and then, you know, hope and pray they catch up to healthy choices. But if you're caught on it with them, everybody's a victim.
1: Right. And then, and then I, there is something I do now that I didn't do in the past um, to kind of help me get through. Um, I find myself constantly like if I'm talking to someone who, um, who is, empathetic and sympathetic to my situation. Um, And, you know, they'll, a a lot of people will ask me questions like, well, how do you do this? Or, you know, you seem so this, or, um, and I find myself that if I'm talking too much about The uh, difficult parts of it, I constantly will say to the other person. But everybody has their baggage. Everybody's got something. Everybody, and 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 I'm kind of I'm talking to myself because I'm almost reminding myself that you are not a victim, Laurie. Everybody's dealing with difficult things, and you are no. I don't want to say better. It's not, that's not the word, but I'm no, I'm no stronger than anybody else. I'm just dealing with what's been given to me. This is my deck of cards and, and I am learning how to deal with it and I'm no better. And everybody has something in their life that they have to learn to deal with.
2: Well, you know, that's funny. One of the symptoms of, vic- of being stuck in victim mentality is self-pity. And the definition of self-pity is the self-indulgent belief that my life is harder and sadder than anyone else's. So you encouraging yourself out of that mindset is a way to come up out and, and – move the needle toward healing
1: well and and it's it's funny because when i do this and i i'll say it out loud everybody everybody everybody's got something i'm i'm no different everybody's got something not only am i talking to myself but i'm talking to the other person and i'm almost like saying to them hey look i'm don't don't pity me right don't pity me i thank you for talking to me thank you for caring right but whatever you do don't pity me because I'm not wallowing in it and I don't need pity. No, I don't need to
2: feel sorry for me. So you don't need right. to feel sorry for me.
1: Exactly. Right. Exactly. Right. That's it. Don't feel sorry for me.
2: No. My dad would always tell me when I was little, um, feeling sorry for yourself is the biggest trap. It's the biggest weakness. That, that doesn't mean don't minister to yourself and don't soothe yourself. But if you get down in that well of crippling yourself with self-pity, it is a, it's a long climb out.
1: Right, like the big ball and chain around your neck. Yeah. Right. Another
2: thing that keeps you victimized, I believe, is blame. Who who are you blaming your life on? That, if you are walking in blame, you are unable to separate from that bonfire inside of resentment and rage. And you can't overcome. One thing about being a victim is you can't, there's no strength in victimhood. There's no victory in being a victim. There's no moving forward and overcoming and triumph. Victims can't triumph.
1: Right. And, and I like what you said that, um, that blaming as a part of it, because I think when, especially when we're talking about SUD blaming your loved one for your emotions and your feelings now victimizes them now. And it makes them responsible for how you feel. Right. And, 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 that's not fair.
2: <laughs> no. And I think I told you there was a mom that I used to see at ball games um the years my son was coming up and she they'd been divorced and the dad would coach and I remember she would just complain about her in-laws and right in front of the kids and no boundaries at all. And one time she had said I sacrificed ever having a healthy relationship because I entered that marriage and had kids with this person and I'll never have anything healthy. I remember she said that just in front of people. I didn't want to correct her, do the dance with her. But I remember thinking, my goodness, if I blamed the health of my life and my relationships on my ex-husband or on my mother, you know, all of that's in my book. And I was on point, I was on a pathway to triumph over it. If I tried to blame it on those things, I would never have a good day.
1: Yeah. Right.
2: <laughs> I, just, I just, I couldn't, I was just thinking how sad and how small to truly let yourself believe that. But sometimes there are just people who nurse those wounds forever. They minister to themselves with it. And right. there, there was no coming out of that because she didn't want to come out of that. She wanted that resentment. Right, and just you know, there's right. just sometimes people haven't found their journey out of it. I don't want to be a blamer.
1: Right, 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 exactly. They're they're maybe comfortable in that chaos. They're comfortable in not really understanding. Right, that they, they just haven't found it yet. No, you know, maybe they will. Maybe they won't.
2: Maybe I just I'm not going to dance. I have found um, some some choices that help us out of victimhood. Or victim okay. mentality. Um, one of them is always choose forgiveness over resentment and forcing validation. Always choose forgiveness as as soon as possible, as much as possible. I love how Ayan Levanzanta, speaker and author, always says, "Forgive everyone of everything." You know, it's harder, and sometimes it's in levels and layers. You and you got to do the emotional work to be ready. Some injuries are way worse, way darker, way more personal, but. For, Always choosing forgiveness over resentment is a huge step. Mm -hmm. Um, Like for one thing, um, my mom was just, I invited my mom over when my son was in town. And people often expect me to have this huge lifelong chip on my shoulder. But it's another example of I don't want to suffer in the present. You know, for things that happened years ago. Yeah. New things can happen and I might rant and rave and throw a fit, but that's new. So when she came over, a lot of times she'll do these apologies that are kind of a blanket apology for times that she hurt me or let me down or how she walked in prescription use, you know, all because she has SUD as well. And I don't really need that blanket apology because right. I live, Forgiveness is fluid for me. I'm floating down the stream of forgiveness. I don't hold on to anything. I want to keep flowing.
1: Right, and and I like that. Um, you don't need you don't need the apology.
2: No, if I needed the apology, you know, I watch a lot of those housewives shows on Bravo. It's, it's uh-huh. and there's always these conflicts, and you always hear them say the same thing. Well, I'm waiting for you to apologize. Well, yes. when are you? you apologize? When have you apologized for the way you said this or that you didn't show up and do that? And I was just thinking, I never want to so desperately need an apology. I mean, I'm I've right. me so good at forgiving now that I've had people come and apologize to me. And as soon as you are, you know, quote, man enough to face me and do that, I want to have mercy. I know that's hard to humble yourself. Right. I don't need you to go into some rant about what I did or did not deserve. Usually you get Halfway through, I'm sorry. And I'm like, okay, it's over and done. Let's move forward.
1: Right, That right. doesn't
2: mean I'm your dartboard and you get to take shots at me over and over. And right. I'm going to open myself up because there's wisdom. Right. But forgiveness is powerful for moving the family. But
1: let's move forward. Right. it
2: yeah, you forward. Even if someone's not right. sorry, right. letting go and moving forward. And then another one, and I think I told you this was from an, an Al-Anon meeting, always choosing guilt over resentment
1: guilt over resentment
2: like if you have a fork in the road and it was the example of a of a single mom who had saved tip money in a tip jar for 10 years to go on a caribbean vacation and when her son turned 18 he started getting in some trouble and he got arrested so she had a choice oh yes choose to go on the vacation she dreamed of planned for worked for or help bail him out you know let him figure it out or help bail him out what should she choose and you know no one c- can give advice but she had said her therapist told her when you come to a crossroads like that it's better to choose guilt over resentment. So if you go on that vacation, you're going to feel guilty but guilt evaporates. If you do what you don't want to do, you have entered into resentment and conflict that's lasting conflict with yourself and with that Oh place. yeah. And that's yeah. harder to work through than guilt.
1: Right, because if you if you go if you don't go on that trip to Hawaii, you have the rest of your life to think I didn't go on that trip to Hawaii. I didn't get to go on that trip to Hawaii.
2: Right. Yeah. And it's your fault and I'm a martyr and look what I did for you. And that's ongoing. That's yeah, ongoing right. victim mentality. Right. And then always choose truth and, and peace. I mean, just for me, the capacity to be relentlessly honest with myself about myself keeps me at a healthy distance from victim mentality. What's my part in it? What am I choosing here? How did I set myself up for injury or to be duped or to repeat the pattern or, you know, whatever the circumstances are, always choosing to face truth. And I try to choose peace over conflict. And that doesn't mean doormat. That means I don't need to go off and running after every person that offends me or insults me or owes me something. Sometimes I just choose peace and cut that off.
1: Right. I think that that's kind of in line with my, my wait. I wait, I wait, hold myself back. And I wait in response because I don't, I don't have to apologize to everybody. I don't have to, um, have them apologize to me. I, right. Sometimes it's not worth any more response. Sometimes you really want
2: a tug just... of war for an apology. Say that again? I mean, do we really need to go into a tug of war for an apology? No, no.
1: absolutely not.
2: That's just, that's just worse. That just makes it worse.
1: Right. And actually, if someone doesn't apologize to me for something that they did, it's just another kind of piece of information for me to utilize. That's it.
2: Well, that's because you're coming from a place of wholeness. Right. When you're whole, you might be affected, you know, and even temporarily down and out about something. You know, when you get shot like a dartboard or you get run over by somebody throwing you under the bus, you can, you're, you're going to drop but you're going to recover and get up and keep running your race.
1: Right. But I'm also not going to go back
2: into soothing that negativity.
1: Right. And I'm also not going to stand there and let them run me over again. Right. If I see them coming up the road, right. I'm going to get out of the way.
2: (laughs) Right. That's healthy wisdom. Right. You know, um, one thing I had said is that um, this is my last take on it and you probably have more, but I don't want my life to show evidence of past heartache and that doesn't mean sweeping it under the rug or denying it because we are very much about the elephant in the room you know my son and i we introduce the elephant get it over with move on things are free and clear we do not cover issues but i don't want evidence in my life i don't want to walk around carrying baggage on me or weight or walking around like this is the family i come from this is the mom relationship i have this is what my son and i have come from we want to move through and past things and one example is that um He had taken my book on a flight with him to read it again in print because he'd read it when it was an email format and he was reading it. And, you know, he's just not all that interested sometimes (laughs) because it's, he knows about, I mean, most, a lot of it's his story, but he had read the first, I think, three chapters. And I said, I don't know if I ever had told you how I lost the hearing in my ear. You know, and that was, that's in the book because I wasn't given medical treatment. They believed in praying first. And then I said, and can you believe, I didn't know I was going to kindergarten until a week before it, you know, our neighbor said, you're going to like kindergarten. And I said, what is kindergarten? I said, now you know why I ask so many questions, <laughs> talk so much. No <laughs> one told me anything. I said, can you believe, you know, yeah. you need to know what your mom comes from and what I'm made of. So you right. know what you're made of, but can you believe that? And he said, yeah, yeah well, you're okay. And I just remember thinking, that's like I love that because yeah, I'm okay.
1: Yeah, you're I'm okay. A yeah. Waving
2: a flag of poor me. Look, look what I come from. And the fact is, not only am I okay, there was such a a an absence of evidence of those things that we forget about them. He didn't even know about a lot of them. Not right. based on denial, based on recovery because recovery works.
1: Right. Right.
2: Yeah. So that's my take on not being a victim.
1: Well, this is awesome. This was a great discussion. I'm glad we covered this topic.
2: I agree. Um, Because there's ways out of it.
1: Yep. And I hope um, our listeners will shoot us an email um, if there's a topic that they'd like us to cover. And um, I guess we will meet back again in about another week.
2: Yep, that's another got phone. a lot to catch up on. And always remember, no matter who's shooting darts at you, no matter who lets you down, throws you under the bus, you can get down, stand back up, and you can drive it.
1: That's right. And, and you are not be okay. But, okay, thank you. Bye. Bye, Annie.
0: Thank you for listening to this Coming Up for Air podcast with Annie Highwater and Lori McDougall. If you're interested in reading Annie's book, Unhooked, A Mother's Story of Unhitching from the Roller Coaster of Her Son's Addiction, it's available online, or you can simply follow the link at the bottom of one of Annie's blog posts on alliesinrecovery.net. Coming Up for Air is sponsored by Allies in Recovery, the online home for families facing the addiction of a loved one. Allies in Recovery can help you understand your loved one's struggle and offers effective communication strategies that encourage treatment and discourage use. In addition to interactive e-learning, Allies in Recovery offers expert advice, podcasts, tools for evaluating treatment options, recent news items, and access to a large community of families coping with issues similar to yours. Join alliesinrecovery.net today. That's alliesinrecovery, all one word, .net. Thank you for listening. Our theme music was performed and composed by cellist Eric Corey.